This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. El Jefe, how goes it, my friend? Oh, great. How are you, Mr. Stelter? Good, good. Episode 136. And uh, man, we... We we had a great guest today. A great guest today. Yeah, kind of a kind of a big one. A guy we've been trying to track down. We've even chased him around at Sheep Show, but uh, he manages to get away and all the people, and I can't catch him. Yeah, he's he's quick. He's he's elusive. Um, that's why he's so success so successful in the field, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Episode one thirty six with Remy Warren, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, Remy. You know, it's interesting. He's one of those guys. He can he just. He, Super knowledgeable, and you just he starts talking. You just want to listen to the guy. Like I love listening to his podcast and his Q and A, and uh, yeah, just and he's just he's just that got that unique. I don't know. He's different in a good way. Yeah, he's quick, and he always comes up with the good answers, and you know, makes sense. And it's you know, he he makes you under be able to understand if you're if you're completely new to what topic he's talking about, whether it's mule deer, international travel. Like I don't know, he just. He seems to break it down for Joe Blow, and we can make sense. That Live Wild podcast, he's doing doing great things there with that Q&A. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, he's on a few live now, too. I think he was just at Pope and Young a few weeks back. and uh, Yeah, really cool. This, uh, trying to snag him to come up to BC to check out uh, check us out. I'd uh, love to have him there. I think it'd be pretty cool. People would love to see that. So. Yeah, that'd be neat to have him in the building, uh, do a little Q&A session for folks and well, fingers crossed we can make it happen. He already said maybe not next year, but you know, it's always a chance that the year following. So 2025, we're counting on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll chase him around Sheep Week for another uh, another next time we see him. Um, so a couple things to talk about. Uh, we got the golf tournament coming up this weekend, so that's going to be a great time. Guys are hitting the guys and gals are hitting the links in Kamloops. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be a good one. The first ever inaugural uh, Mountain Monarch golf tournament at the Bighorn Golf and Country Club. Uh, no better setting for a golf tournament when it comes to sheep. Sheep are down on the course. Heck, don't even don't even golf. Just go hang out, go enjoy a few beers and watch the sheep. <laughs> I heard somebody say that. They said, I'm not even taking clubs. I'm just going to go and I'm going to ride around. I'm going to drink some beer and I'm going to hit glass sheep and have fun. Well, yeah, so. you don't even need the glass and they'll be standing at the hole. You got to shoo them off before you drive the ball. Like It's, it's quite the neat little... Uh, neat spot tucked into the mountains there it's beautiful yeah absolutely and you and i are heading south so uh, for those that don't know the wild sheep foundation hosts the chapter and affiliates summit each year uh they invite chapter and affiliates from their entire network and uh, we usually end up with 80 to 100 people that are down there and we talk about what's going on in the sheep world uh, how we can support the other chapter and affiliates, and uh, and yeah, we, you and I, and Mister Barker have the privilege of representing Wild Sheep BC down there this year, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a phenomenal time. Uh, the importance of those events are, you know, it's it's hard to put into words. Uh, the the relationship building, and like you said, working with the other chapters and affiliates, see where we can support each other, as we are we receive so many funds from outside of our organization from all across North America. And a lot of it's to these events where you can sit in the room with these people and you can discuss what's going on, where your needs are, where their needs are. And, you know, we all support each other when we can, and it's a great family to be a part of. Yeah. And one of the real cool things that happens is that, uh, 
every year we do an appeal for a project. So when we say we, the Wild Sheep Foundation does an appeal for a specific project. And there's been a number of projects. Uh, two years ago, I think it was the Fraternity of the Desert Bighorn um, had, uh, there was a drought conditions and basically wild sheep were, these deserts were, uh, they were run out of water. They were dying from uh, no water being available. So we raised a ton of money for that. We did a Nebraska transplant this past year. Uh, Wild Sheep Foundation kicked off with a $50,000 seed funding. And I don't remember the final number, but it was around right, 160 or 180,000 US dollars were raised in literally a matter of minutes. So every year there's an appeal. So it's going to be interesting to see what this year's appeal is. You'll be there to watch it, Greg. Um, uh, and it's going to be pretty cool to see. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I missed the, the last one I was invited to. So I'm excited to, to see all the old friends and you know, all the, the connect, new connections we'll be making and onward and upward for Wild Sheep. And we're going to do our best to try and do a podcast while we're down there. It's always tough at these events because you're just busy networking and there's, a, you know, it's, it's nonstop. There's always things going on and uh, yeah, there's a social aspect, but there's, you know, there's seminars and sessions and tours and, um, and then just the networking aspect of it. So it's kind of hard to even do a podcast. So we're bringing the gear with us. We're going to try and do a couple while we're down there, but uh, you know, it's always a challenge. We'll see how it goes. Be in the, the airport on the way home while we're waiting for the plane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do it on the airplane, right? Yeah, R- recap of where we're at and what's going on next. Yeah, awesome. Uh, just for those of you that are wanting to get in on the Six Gun Super Raffle, we're drawing that on June 24th, so just over a week away. We're going to do that up in Courtney. And uh, so if you're interested, uh, you better get a ticket. So the way it works is we got six rifles up for grabs. The tickets are 50 bucks, And y- in theory... Like statistically, it's not going to happen, but in theory, you could win all six rifles. You need one ticket and you get in. And so you get drawn. And if you get, don't get drawn, your name gets, or even if you get drawn, your name goes back in for the next draw. So you got one in six chance to win six rifles, $54,000 in prizes. Uh, This has been a full donation from our industry partners led by uh, Precision Optics and just a great opportunity to support wild sheep. So 50 bucks is all it costs you, but because it's a full donation, that all that money is going to go straight back to wild sheep conservation here in, pro- in the province. So very cool. Yeah, I wish uh, some rules would change in the province and we'd be able to buy tickets for these things, but uh, unfortunately we can't. It's uh, one heck of a, a prize package. Those six rifles are all incredible rifles. Get your hands on an early bird draw as well. Like it's it's awesome, and we can't thank Omar and Precision Optics enough for putting this all together and getting our partners on board. And yes, outstanding guy. Just yeah, we're pretty keeps giving. Yeah, we're so blessed to have the support of so many great organizations, and Omar's right at the front of that. So, all right, episode one thirty six with the one, the only Remy Warren. Enjoy the listen, and thanks for tuning in to Talk a Sheep. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Yeti. Thank you Sitka Gear and Yeti for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Well, Mr. Remy Warren, welcome to Talk of Sheep. It's uh, great to connect with you, man. Yeah, thanks. It's great to uh, connect with you guys as well. So I follow the podcast and um, some watch some of the stuff, but in your video, do you always have that doll sheep that's mounted behind you in your your podcast? I don't remember seeing that before. Uh, yeah, I, I well, I, it is behind me, but I actually have like a wood wall that I move. I, I've been using recently. It was like 
I don't know. I, I was testing it out to see if it worked. It was like a, is like a backdrop thing. Um, because, uh, the, I don't know. You can't, you just like see a foot. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't know this. I got like this faux wood wall. So it was buying that, but I, I've only recorded one, uh, video of my podcast anyway. So I'll probably, I was just, that was just like a test because the sheep was gone. Um, I was at the, it was at the, was it Pope and Young convention. And so I just got it back. And so I had that like faux wall because there was just like this big hole behind me for a while. But now I got the sheet back. So it's back home. It's just good. So got to take the wood wall down. Yeah, right on. I don't I don't know where I seen that faux wall. If it was maybe it was on Brinker. Did you have it on like did you have that backdrop on Brinker? So I seen it somewhere, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Right on. The garage was under construction. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Um, so you got the new podcast and uh, Live Wild. How's that going and how are you enjoying uh, that aspect of it? Yeah, it's going really good. Um, you know, I, I really like to be able to share those tips and tactics and stuff like that. And it's been really well received. So it's been a lot of fun to do. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy it. And then I also have kind of like a live call-in portion. And that's probably honestly my favorite one to do because you just never know the kind of questions that get asked. I actually just did one last night. And there was people that said, you know, they're like, man, three of the, the question I was going to ask, someone else asked. And then I thought of another question and then that got asked. So there's always a lot of things that I might not even think about talking about that a lot of people want to know or have questions about as far as like tips and tactics go. So I, I enjoy doing those too, because it helps me just hone in the, the topic on what people actually are, are wondering about when it comes to hunting tactics or things that they can do better. Well, that's the one thing that amazes me with your your podcast is how you can connect with people and articulate what you do. Like I, I listen to that Q and A, and I'm just like the stuff that you can come up with, and it's like it's like you've been to their secret honey hole, and and you're talking about stuff, and I'm just like, how the heck can you do that? Like I'm a lifelong hunter, and I'm like obviously nowhere near experienced as you are, but you start talking about something, and somebody's asking about a water source, and you're talking about the mountains and and where you need to be looking for deer, and it's like you'd been there. I'm like, how do you? How can you? It's amazing how you can connect with your guests like that. Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing that helps is I've, I've been a lot of different places, so if guys are talking from different states or different areas, uh, there, there is probably some similar places that I've been. And then there's guys that call in and I talk and I'm like, I know exactly where you're talking about. So <laughs> that happens too. Uh, right on. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. You've kind of hunted all over and, uh, you know, uh, you've done tons of different species, obviously high in your list. Um, you know, the international stuff, uh, lots of sheep stuff, lots of elk stuff. Um, if you if you had to single your your kind of your top hunts out, let's start with that. Let's go from there, and then and then we'll ebb and flow into the rest of them. So, kind of pick out your your most memorable hunts or what you're really keen about. I, you just drew Nevada this year, didn't you, or something for desert sheep? Yep, yeah, I'm actually headed out scouting tomorrow. So, um, I drew a desert sheep tag in archery. It's an archery only desert sheep tag. Really excited about that. That season's in October, and I'm just planning on putting a lot of time in scouting because it's in a unit that I've never hunted in, never been in. So it's going to be good to just kind of understand the area and then start honing in on particular rams. Um, I do know that the rams can be a little bit desert sheep can be pretty transitory too. Like they'll be in one area and then they just vanish and they move around a bit. Um, but at least kind of understanding what's in the unit, what's what the potential is, maybe even target a specific ram. I'm not sure until I get in there and, and really kind of pick it apart. Do you have any uh, any guys that you've corresponded with that have hunted that zone at all or the area that you can talk to? Or? 
Yeah, yeah. I've actually just right before I was talking to you guys, I was talking to a, a guy, and I've got a couple friends that have hunted the unit, and I've got it's like an extensive list of notes and pins dropped that uh, that I'm going to go check out and just at least see. And I, I had a, a sneaky suspicion that I might draw within the next you know few years because I had a, a lot of points built up for it. So it was, and this area is new for. Um, an archery hunt, but I started kind of looking at the map and, and diving into a lot of e-scouting and stuff before, like, that's just what I do. <laughs> I think like at the end of the day, some people read, some people watch TV. I just like e-scout units that I want to hunt someday. I've got pins in places that I've never been like all over the place. So I, I've kind of like got a good idea of my plan before I even drew the tag. And then it was really good too, to just start talking to guys that are have put a lot of time in there and and a lot of the stuff that they said just actually corresponded with the things that I was thinking. So that's good. And then there's some things I didn't think about that. Go, okay. I'm going to check that out. Is it pretty a logistical, uh, logistical heavy hunt or is it pretty, uh, pretty easy to get in there and get after stuff? It's pretty easy. Uh, the, I mean, it's a, it's a good distance from where I live. So um, there's like either you're either driving back and forth uh, which it's actually a lot, it's cheaper and easier for me to fly down there. So, um, I'm almost kind of thinking of leaving vehicle and then just flying back and forth for the scouting. And then I'll just drive down for the actual hunt. And I can access a lot of the unit from a boat, which is awesome. And then there's also road systems and other things, but it's a pretty, there's a pretty big wilderness area in there that I'm kind of targeting. So it'll be hot. It'll be like 120 degrees during the hunt. Um, so I think that, that part's the, that's a challenge, right? It's like, you're going to use all your water to get into the spot. The sheep don't care. They don't, they don't mind. But, um, yeah, just kind of figuring out easy ways into places or the way into places and the best access points is kind of my initial thing, but logistically not, not crazy. Right. And for your hike in, like, what are you, are you an eight hour hike in three hours? What kind of uh, distance are you looking time wise? Um, it just depends on where you're going. The trouble with it is like that country is very rocky and there's like a lot of short, it's like very Canyon country kind of stuff. So to go a mile might like a mile on the map might take you six or seven miles because you got to go all, you know, two miles up a wash drop over and then to go down to the next one, that's only 400 yards away. You got to go a mile back and drop down. So it's like really broken country. Um, a friend of mine, that's one of the things that, uh, one of the guys that I was talking to mentioned, he's like, yeah, we went two, two or three miles. He says it was a nine hour hike to go three miles essentially. Um, just because the up and down and like Canyon, 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 really close together, really tight and really cliffy. So there's, there's some cool country in there. And then there's big washes that you could walk. It's like walking on a road all day. Right. So there's, there's all kinds of country in there. A lot of that stuff in Southern Nevada, it's just like plate tectonics, just shot straight up. So you'll get these just flats and then you just have these mountains that are just straight up out of the ground. And then another range, a hundred yards or like, sorry, like a mile across the valley that does the same thing. And then it'll drop into a valley and there's like independent mountains all over the place. So there's a lot of, a lot of different country in there and it's all kind of lays different. Very cool. So on a hunt like this, you know, you've obviously killed a lot of sheep over the years, Remy. Do you have a class of ram you're looking for? And obviously, you know, you're up in the ante with archery and everything like that. But are you going in with a, a predetermined goal? And do those standards change as the hunt progresses? Or how does that look for you? 
Yeah, I, I do, but I didn't really set it in my mind. I didn't really set like a high, I, the goal that I set was pretty, I think very obtainable. Um, I mean, my thought was like when I put in, I just wanted like a, a mature 155 inch Ram and I, that's very doable. Honestly, I probably will be like hunting 160 type Rams. And, and then if I find a real good one, try to target that one. But there are some sheep in that unit that don't have great bases, but they've got age. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Like I, I'm more about the experience and it'd be awesome to take a desert sheep with my bow. So uh, as far as like the score wise, I don't think I'll be that picky, but I would like to take it an old Ram for sure. Awesome. And so with you and you, if you're out there and it's a hard, you know, maybe the weather's not cooperating or there's some pressure, if you're having a hard time getting on ramps and you kind of just see a legal one that's, yeah, he's, he's legal, but it's not, it's not what you envision. Is that something you'd be willing to take? Or you're just like, no, he has to be mature. He has to be old. He has to be, have character or whatever. Um, probably won't because, uh, I, fortunately I've, I've shot a desert and it was, I was pretty young. I drew a tag in an area where the sheep were like essentially dying off and I was 13 years old and I was like, Oh, I want to go sheep hunting. <laughs> it was almost like a 75% chance of drawing. And there was like, I think, or yeah, maybe even maybe 50% something like that. I think there was like four, two tags and four people applied. Uh, so yeah, I guess 50%. But, um, and I, we hunted the entire season and I shot a ram on the last day of the season. It was the only sheep. It was the only sheep we saw. And it was like a fairly young ram, um, but I think on this on this hunt, I think I'll have a lot more opportunity, and I know a lot more now than I knew then. Like that was our first time sheep hunting, really. Like me and my dad, we knew nothing, and the area didn't even have sheep in it, so it made it very difficult. But we also didn't know is like, are they not here, or are we just not finding them? And uh, so I think, like for me, I, I've got kind of my standard, and I'm just going to stick to that. Right on. So this is, you, you killed that, that was your first desert when you were young and you haven't killed anything since. Have you been drawn since then? No, that was my, the only desert tag that I've had. Okay. Yeah. Right on. So, um, what other, uh, what are the other, you know, you've done a ton of sheep hunting all over the country, um, international stuff. What kind of, uh, when it comes to sheep, what, what makes you, what gets you up at night? If you could go hunt anything at any time, what would you go choose? Yeah. I mean, I love hunting sheep just because uh, for, for the most part, the opportunity can be fairly rare. And then just the country that they live in is so awesome. And I, and I mean, between all the sheep too, it's like they, they, they're mountain animals. So you get that mountain hunting experience, it, whether it's doll sheep, desert sheep, rocky bighorns, like they all live in just, I think, incredible terrain. Um, you know, the, and but yeah, we don't down here, we don't get the opportunity that often. So I'm always, I'm going on a lot of sheep hunts, whether they're mine or someone else's, uh, you know, whether I'm tagging along on another hunt or guiding a hunter or something like that. So I get my sheep hunting fixed that way. And then for the rest of the other things I like to chase, I love chasing mule deer with my bow because it's a, it's also a mountain hunt, but I get to do it every year and they're pretty hard to get close to with a bow. So I like the challenge of that as well. Okay. Um, do you want to go doll sheep hunting in August? <laughs> I'm actually going doll sheep hunting in August. <laughs> are you? For yourself yeah. or with a buddy? Uh, yeah, for myself. Yeah. Okay. Where are you hunting that? In the Jugach in Alaska. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right I, I actually that. drew a, 
uh, it's a, I've hunted in there a few times, but, um, I drew a, a, one of the tags in there this year. So I'll be doing that. I'm pretty excited about it. When are you going in for the, like August 1st or later or earlier? What's your plan? Um, I'm going in August 19th. Okay. Yeah. Right on. So, and what yeah, the season the, starts heard? like a few days later, but I think the season's like August 22nd or something like that, but you know, a little bit early. Okay. Have you talked to guys up there what the sheep populations are looking like after this winter? I know they've been struggling a bit in Alaska. As, well, yeah, it's pretty well documented, but. Yeah, you know, it's definitely not what it used to be. I don't know if the Chugach got hit as hard as other places in the Alaska range. Um, I haven't heard as far as, you know, the, the final outcomes of things, um, but it sounded like they were doing okay. I mean, not, they're doing better than other places, I guess. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And all all your trips, everything you do is all archery, right? No, no rifle stuff. No, all rifle hunt. I'm gonna rifle hunt the uh, the doll sheep, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you end, ever end up doing any guided stuff at all like that, or is it unless like well, obviously in BC you'd have to, but uh, would you do a guided hunt in Alaska, or you you prefer DIY? Yeah, no, in Alaska, uh, because I'm not a resident of Alaska, I have to have a guide with me. Uh, but I've got a buddy that um, I go with, so it works out pretty good that has his permits and is a, guy, a registered guide and all that stuff. So it works out pretty good. <clears throat> awesome. So what platform are we going to see that film on? Uh, that'll be on my YouTube channel. Okay, awesome. So you got a pretty big year uh, planned. Yeah, I mean, I drew two sheep tags, so that's like I've never had two sheep tags in one year that I can think of. Uh, so that's pretty exciting for me. Very cool. So, well, you got a new baby, right? And I thought you were trying to stick close to home, but that's not really working out as planned, is it? Yeah, no, well, we had a, um, I was sticking close to home kind of for the, the first half of the year. So we had uh, our son in January. And so I kind of, I didn't go to New Zealand this year, which I normally would be in New Zealand right now um, or just coming back probably. But uh, yeah, I didn't do that this year. However, we did, I, I did, I actually went down and uh, hunted out at, down in South Te in the kind of like Rio Grande area of Texas. That was awesome. I'd never done that. And it's one of the things I was like, I, I've kind of always wanted to do it. And that was actually a really cool country down there. It really surprised me how it looks like the Grand Canyon. It's just super steep, big cliffs and whatever. And, uh, we didn't see that many sheep to be honest, but, um, still had a good time. It was fun. Did you harvest one or were you successful? I, I did. Yeah. I got one. It was more of a luck thing. It was, we were just like moving between two spots. I, I saw one Ram, uh, on day three, it was a pretty quick trip. I didn't have a lot of time. So, um, on the, on the last day I saw one Ram stocked in. I just didn't want to take the shot because he was sitting, he's bedded like in a place where if he fell, I just would have never recovered him. So I, I walked, I worked my way around hoping that he would come back off of his bed, the direction that he came but there happened to be some ewes on the other side and I think he either heard them or smelled them. So we were sitting there and he got up and just walked straight away and never to be seen again. And as I was switching areas, uh, I was kind of in the, not sure the flats, but yeah, kind of the flats, like the more broken country at the top because everything drops down to the, the, where the water's carved out and three rams ran across like the last evening right before dark the last day when i was just going to glass one last spot and shot one of them and it was it was cool though they're a pretty cool animal yeah so is it you know i've heard 
I hear mixed reviews. I hear most guys are like a bit dismissive of Audad until they do it. And then once they've done it, everyone says it's amazing and they want to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've been on a few other Audad hunts in the unlimited areas and there's some just unlimited permits in New Mexico and we've shot sheep there or we've shot them there. Uh, I hadn't shot. I was, I'm always like the guy that's like spotting them and I don't know, not guiding, but just like, letting friends be the ones that shoot because it's like, I get a lot of opportunity to hunt. And so when I take, when me and my friends go out, I'm like, yeah, you guys go, go for it. So I had never actually shot now dad, but I've been on quite a few hunts for him. And so it was fun to, to shoot one for myself. I thought it was cool. Right on with your, with the mount, are you going to do a full body? You're just going to do like a, uh, a shoulder mount or what do you got planned for? Uh, I just did like a European, just a skull. Is that right? Eh? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Okay. So you've got your new son um, and, you know, Greg and I are both fathers and a bit of a game changer. And obviously he's still really young, but, um, you know, in the early days, just with your new new son, is there any change of the mentality? And are you thinking, you know, hey, I can't wait to get a rifle in his hand or a bow in his hand or get him on like gun behind glass or whatever. Is there, has there been a change in your perspective as a new father uh, since that's happened? Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, my daughter, I've got a daughter that's just turning two. And, uh, you know, just like getting her out and the way that she loves it is so fun. She loves, like we've got in our living room, I've got a couple of sheep mounts there and every day she comes out, she goes, sheep, sheep, sheep. And she's got this little set of binoculars and we go glassing in the evenings, like her bed, instead of bedtime stories, it's like going out and looking through the binoculars and she just, she's all about it. I was like, whether my son hunts or not, I don't know because he's too young, but I know for sure my daughter will be way into it. Um, so at least I know I'll get one hunter out of the family, but I would imagine my son's going to be the same. And then, yeah, just, uh, bringing her on the trips. Like we did a hunt last year. Um, I took her to, uh, my wife and I went to New Zealand last year when it opened and we just carried her in the backpack and went hunting and it was a lot of fun. Um, and she was just, she was floored on the deer. <laughs> she just loved it. She's like just over a year old or just under a year old, I guess. And, uh, it was just so much fun to see. So it's like, I'm really looking forward to them being able to kind of have their own tags and, and do the thing. But, you know, we, we get out a lot as a family and just enjoy the outdoors together. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, she's pretty young for it still, but does she like the wild meat and stuff? I guess the kids are oh. so resilient. Probably doesn't know any different. All she eats is steak. Like it's so, <laughs> she's, she's a pure carnivore. She's like steak, steak, steak. She'll eat as much steak as I do. It's like we had uh, elk. I cooked up an elk backstrap last night. And, yeah, I mean, she had, like, she, I don't know how they put away that much food. It's insane. <laughs> they just, they're like, for their body size, they can definitely out-eat most adults, I would think. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's so cool when they're kids like that because, uh, you know, we're so predisposed to beef or chicken or pork that, you know, um, it's not like, I don't think meat, most of the time it's not gamey. It's just different, right? It doesn't taste like beef. So people are predisposed to not like it if you bring it to somebody that's, in, you know, older and sort of not open-minded, right? But kids are so yeah. resilient. They don't know any different. It just tastes good, right? Yeah, exactly. Like her first, her first real solid food was elk burger. And so I think it's just like, that's all she knows really. Um, yeah, we had some, but she'll like, she loves red meat of any kind. Mostly it's like, elk, deer, antelope, whatever we got, she'll eat it. Awesome. Uh, did you bring the out at home? Did you bring any of that meat home? I did. Yeah. I haven't cooked it up yet though. 
Um, right. But I figured I'll, I'll pull it out and do a little bit of barbecue. My trailer was slow wrist with it. People kept saying the meat, it was, it's terrible, but it smelled like I could understand maybe if it like they smelled that. I don't know. This animal did not smell at all. The meat smelled like meat. I imagine that's going to be pretty good. So I'm looking forward to cooking it up. I'm going to try, I'll, I'm going to do it like two ways. I'll just do like a steak with it and then do like a slow roast with it. And then if it is bad, then I'm going to do pepperoni or sausage with it. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Do you end up preparing your, your own stuff like pepperoni, sausage? Do you do that stuff or you have someone process it for you? No, I do uh, almost all of it myself. Uh, do a lot of summer sausage, do a lot of like, uh, do some case sausages, some smoked sausages, and then also just like fresh sausage, a lot of chorizo and stuff like that. So with the out I'd probably do a little bit of chorizo, things that are a little strong, the chorizo. I love chorizo. We eat it like three times a week. We make like chorizo tacos, burritos. We eat a lot of, we eat a lot of like Mexican food, Spanish food. So, um, the chorizo goes pretty fast in our house. So if it's not the best, we'll probably go chorizo with it. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Chorizo does a pretty good job of hiding anything that <laughs> any taste yeah. in there for the most part. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about international hunting. You've done a lot of international hunts and you've kind of almost pioneered it in some ways, certainly for people that have never done it and want to learn about it. And you're kind of the go-to guy. They learn a lot from you about it. Um, you know, have you always had that interest in, in hunting internationally or is that just something you wanted to explore when you were younger? How did that sort of come about for you, Remy? Yeah. I mean, it's something that I always was really interested in. Um, I think like growing up the books that I would do for every book reporter, it's like, if I had to read, if you're going to get me to read something, it was going to be about hunting. And my favorite was death in the long grass, like Peter Capstick books. So I was obsessed with hunting in Africa and the stories of hunting in Africa. And, uh, after I graduated high school, I ended up going to Africa and, uh, hunting and, and I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, it, it was cool. Um, but there was, like other places that now I wanted to check out. And a lot of the places that had more mountain hunts were the things that really, uh, really appealed to me. And New Zealand was one that a place that I really wanted to go to, and especially hunting tar and chamois. But as like a young guy, it was just like, I looked at the, the price of a hunt in uh, New Zealand was out of my price range to go hunt tar. And so I was like, man, can I just do this on my own? Why can't I? And so I started doing a lot of research and I did about two years worth of research and just kind of said, okay, I think I can do this. And then booked a ticket and, and started going over there, started hunting and started guiding as well. And ended up, um, yeah, get, like kind of getting like work visas and all that stuff. And then, uh, working as a guide over there and, and taking hunters primarily for tar and chant, mostly tar, uh, tar, red deer, fallow deer, that kind of stuff. Cool. Now for, for somebody that wants to do it, what's, you know, there's tons of resources and they can listen to you on podcasts and that sort of stuff. Have you ever thought about doing a DIY or like uh, writing even a book on it or something like that about how to, to do that? Cause it, you know, that's something that's really, I think would be really cool. And, uh, but how does a person get involved in that? What, where would they go for resources on it? Yeah. I mean, New Zealand's pretty unique because they have like, they've got their department of conservation website is where I started and they've got a ton of information on it. 
And it's interesting because like the animals are feral. And so it's in a lot of ways a management tool. And so they give you a lot of information that other places wouldn't give you. And like really good ways of like finding access points and all that. And that's how I started building out my initial hunt plan. And then when I was there, I just started checking a bunch of different places, hunting a lot of different stuff and then meeting people going new places, all that good stuff. Um, but I mean, that's, that's like the first place to start. And I think still today is a good place to start. And then there's like, there's, there's a lot of books down there that have hunting spots in them and other like information on it. I think the hardest part though, is like the logistical thing of being from somewhere else. And then, traveling there and hunting and things have changed a lot in the last, especially since COVID, but um, like the gun laws and other things, it's a lot easier now to travel with a bow. If you don't have like a, somebody, you know, with a New Zealand firearms license or a firearms license yourself, like it can be very difficult now. Uh, Whereas back in the day, it was a lot easier uh, to do just like you could just get a visitor's firearm license. And there wasn't so many rules of how to store it when you were hunting and all this other stuff. But it's still hundred percent doable. Uh, you just kind of got to pay attention to all those rules and other things um, that I think like that logistical portion of it is probably the hardest part. And then the other logistical portion is like getting things back. Like, you know, if you don't have access to something to boil skulls with, if you want to bring them back with you and, and that kind of stuff. So just having all that stuff planned out helps a lot. Just figuring that out is probably like the biggest, the biggest trick. It sounds like a, a good multi-series uh, multi podcast uh, that, that could be pretty helpful for guys. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the first year that I went down there, I like I showed up and just bought like a – essentially, uh, what was it? It was called the Hilux Surf, which was like a Toyota 4Runner. And then, and then my plan was just like I'm just going to run it until – and then just sell it when I left. And it ended up being like I ended up – having to put a lot of more than I was expecting to keep it running, <laughs> but I did, I did end up fixing it and then selling it. Um, a couple of years later, uh, I just continued to use, I think I used that vehicle for like two years. Cause I was like, Oh, this is awesome. I'm just gonna keep coming back every year. And, uh, I think it was about, well, until the, the COVID got shut down. I think I was, I did like 13 years there. Mm. Okay. So you didn't go, you haven't gone since COVID and obviously you didn't go this year, but that was primarily yeah. because of the, the young family. Uh, no, I did. We went last year. Um, oh, I you did? did. Too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. It opened um, up in May last year. So we went like a couple of days after it opened and, and then stayed for a while. Right. Cool. So now with, uh, obviously New Zealand is pretty safe to take the family. You did, I think you did a Marco Polo in Kyrgyzstan or something like that. I did. Yeah what's what's contrasted to for us obviously night and day but uh what what was that like and was it a pretty dodgy experience for you i've I've heard all kinds of stories of their great bad somewhere in between so yeah i mean i think kind of like you hear all these horror stories and I, the, here's the thing like the country is amazing and i absolutely love the country the terrain is incredible like it actually reminds me of new zealand i thought the people were very friendly um I think though, like when you get out into the hunting scenario, you run into the trouble of like the people that you're with and the way that they do things is not the way that I would hunt. And you're kind of at their mercy in a weird way. Like you, you have no say in anything. So because of that, it like, 
unfortunately, I really wanted a certain experience and I want, I like to hunt a certain way. And that's just like, I want to look at Rams. I want to pat, like, I just want to hunt my own way. And I thought that like everybody was on the same page and that just wasn't the case. Like they were like, I pretty much, it, it didn't go as I would have expected, but it went how everyone said it would go. And then I had another friend that was going back there, uh, just a different place. And I told him, I was like, yeah, like it's going to be, whatever you think it's going to be like, it's not going to be like that. And he's like, no, no, no. It's going to be like, I got it all figured. And he went and he's like exact same thing. He called me. He's like, dude, you're so right. It's just like, you're at the mercy of whoever you're with. And then I've run into people that have had like really good experiences and not that the experience is bad. You just have to know that it's completely different than the way that you want to do things. Like, I, I mean, have, have you ever been on a sheep hunt where like your primary method of hunting would be, they're going to do a drive. And by doing a drive, you're like on one part of the mountain and just people are shooting guns off <laughs> to scare animals. It makes like, you're like what? This is not a hunting tactic. So, and you're like, yeah, that didn't work. Uh, but that kind of <laughs> stuff is just like how they do it. And I, I think too, like there's a long history of European hunters hunting there and like the local people that hunt with them, the, the European hunters want to do like driven hunts. And so that's a main Hunt, way that they hunt but in those mountains like it's not a very successful tactic i don't think and it's also i don't know it's just not i i've seen that a lot or heard about that a lot i didn't necessarily experience that too much but um you're you're a little bit at the mercy of whoever you're with for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um just w- one thing i forgot to mention or talk to you about was in new zealand about the, sort of the feral issue and around tar and chamois tar in particular and uh, this whole controversy about you know certain aspects of government that want to basically just extirpate the uh, the feral species. Um, you've been involved with that at all and followed it closely and sort of you know having been on the ground there. What's kind of your experience as a general rule? It seems hunters are are not for that approach. They're like, hey, they're feral, but they're it's a great experience and um, you know they're not completely destroying you know the, the environment. Um, but what what's your take on that, Remy? If you could just touch on that for us. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, I think that there's certain people in the government or whatever that just want to eradicate everything. Um, and that's definitely not not the approach that I'm for. Uh, I enjoy hunting them. I like when the populations are, are high. I understand that they do do a lot of damage. And I think most hunters and most hunting organizations recognize that they need to be managed in some way. And sometimes hunting might not be like, effective enough in certain areas so they have to do certain coals uh, but also like it's it'd be better to say like hey let's let the you know the deer stalkers association organize the coal here because then they can say let's we're gonna we're gonna shoot nannies or whatever and we'll leave the bulls and they say that they do that but it's not the case for the most part when they're doing white scale eradications you just don't necessarily know uh, the motives of like what's going on. But then there's there's places too where it's been cold out, and I've hunted there very recently afterwards and found good bulls, and they supposedly mark where they've seen bulls to get people to go in there. So like they'll be doing an eradication, and they go, "Oh, we shot, you know, there's a bull here, a bull here, we left them." But then you walk in there, and you're like, "Oh, here's a dead bull. Here's a here's a dead one here." They're just it's I don't think it's an exact science. So the, what they say they're doing, what they're actually doing, I think can be two different things, uh, but. Yeah, I think that like if it was left just there's there's better ways to do it. And I think that you also have to like take into account all the stakeholders, including uh, primarily hunters for sure. 
So I heard you say something about, uh, you know, they want to completely eradicate stuff. Do you, do you feel like there's a, a bit of a movement from certain areas of the government down there that it's like, well, if we get all the animals off the landscape, then it gets rid of hunting and, and that's the narrative that they're pushing? Or is there an element of that or they just you just think they want to get rid of those feral animals off the landscape? Oh, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think there there's like an economic thing that they kind of ignore or don't ignore, but they just they see them as a pest and not as something that could add a lot of value. Um, so they go, Oh, well take, you know, we now have to manage our forests and all this other stuff. So now we just got to eradicate them and they don't, they just look at it like that. And then there probably is, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what everybody's thinking. I'm sure there are people that think, well, if there's nothing to hunt then there's no reason to hunt and then you can't have guns. I'm sure that's a thing too. I just out of my personal opinion. Yeah, cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the brand. So we got the new podcast, um, and there's been a lot of lot of really cool things going on through your platform lately. What sort of what's uh, what's on the horizon? What's uh, what can we expect to hear from your camp in the coming? Whatever you can share with us. Yeah, I mean, um, I've got the podcast, you know, weekly podcast, and I'm actually adding like a bonus episode every month now, uh, just because uh, people have been asking for more stuff, and as we ramp up toward hunting season. I want to be able to just kind of touch on a lot of the things that people are asking for. So the podcast, I'm going to start editing a few of those is like a video format to it. So just so it's where everybody likes to, you know, some people watch them on YouTube. Some people want to hear them on, you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever. So just trying to have it everywhere. People pay attention to podcasts, but I've got one episode. I think we've got a few that the edits on them don't take, they aren't quick because it's like, you know, an hour long podcast. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, and then we've got uh, some videos, a lot of videos and stuff coming out on my YouTube channel, my Remy Warren YouTube channel, and then just things on social media and other stuff and some things with companies and other things. But those are the kind of the primary things that we've got going. A lot of cool films that we did filmed last year that are going to be coming out still. And, uh, and then just stuff in this, this upcoming season that I'm looking forward to. Awesome. So you, you've done a ton of stuff over the years, like a ton of films, but like this has kind of been a bit of a, more of an evolution, like heavily influenced, like as mentorship, like providing uh, input, you know, is that sort of part of the business model or, or is just something like, you know, you've kind of created this niche for yourself, but you, you know, you do such a good job of mentoring people and you know, the Q and a thing is brilliant, right? Like I think you did a Q and a at Pope and young, didn't you at their, their show? Yeah. 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 Generally if I'm somewhere, I, I kind of, I do those, um, Q and A's and that's, it's just more like, that's what I like to do. Um, yeah, it has no other bearing. I just, I've always been the type of person that like, I pretty much just do what I like to do when I like to do it. And so if I don't like to do it, then I just stop doing it. And that's just the way that I've been. I, 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 I only do the things that I really enjoy. And so this is the, the podcast and the way the style that I do the podcast is the way that I enjoy it. Um, and also it fits into my schedule a little bit because it's actually a lot easier. I've, I've done a few guests and things. It's a lot easier for me to do that because I don't have to like think about it as much or I don't know. It, it actually is kind of hard to be the only person talking because um, <laughs> you have to have every, everything that happens is yours. But uh, as a, as a hardcore solo hunter guy, I do a lot of stuff alone and like just with the travel schedule and trying to time things. I can do it by myself anywhere, but also I really like to be able to kind of give the tips and tactics and, and focus on that. Uh, for me personally, like I just feel like 
don't know. Uh, that's kind of what I enjoy to do. And I, and I like to be able to share the stuff that I've learned over the years because it makes me excited when somebody says like, dude, I, I get a lot of people saying, especially when it comes to elk hunting, they're like, man, I, I hunted elk for four or five years, wasn't successful, started listening to your podcast, started doing a lot of the things like I never thought about. And here's the first bull that I got. And like, they're just like, they're, they're starting to become continually successful. And to me, that's super exciting because I feel very fortunate that I've got to spend thousands of days out in the field doing what I love. And I've learned so much in those days that, I mean, I would imagine if you get a week or a weekend or a couple weeks to hunt every year, there's some things that you should probably know that might take you years to figure out that I could just kind of at least get you going down that path. Yeah. So do you get any flack about that where guys are like, Hey, like you're, you're, you're making it too easy for guys. And, uh, you know, is, is there, cause it, it it's crazy. Like I, I love, I love to share my stories and mentor people as well, but you know, every once in a while you're like, you can't give them too much information. They got to figure it out for themselves. Yeah. I mean, there, that's the other thing though. Like the thing about hunting is you could tell somebody how to do something a hundred times and until they've experienced it, they it still have to put the pieces together. And that's the getting out in the field portion of it, right? But just having like a better understanding of what to look for and, and the way to go about things makes a big difference, I think. I, I mean, I don't necessarily get a lot of flack for it, but I'm sure there are people that, oh, you're giving away too much. Well, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but I, I honestly don't really get that too much. I try to keep like, I'm very careful about, I don't like to blow spots up and say, Oh, like, Oh, here, this is how you go hunt the state of Idaho. Um, because there's a lot of people that, in my opinion, I just don't personally like to do that. Cause there's a lot of places that I enjoy hunting and I, when it kind of gets put on blast, it, it does in many ways kind of make it popular. And then it, it changes the way that you get to enjoy it. There's a lot of things that I've hunted for a long time that nobody necessarily knows about not that like I just I talk about it but I might not like be very specific about it um I like doing it that way so that's the other thing is like I can I can tell tactics about species and scouting and other things like that but I'm not talking about specific units and exact places to go and and what to do there with yourself as an influencer does everything you do generally um involve a camera when you're out there is it is it always work related or is there just stuff where hey i'm just going to go hunt elk myself this weekend i'm not taking a camera i'm just going to go and enjoy myself or there's always like no i gotta like i'm on my a game uh no i mean i actually i mean i probably i would say that i film a lot of stuff pretty probably almost everything but only because i like that aspect of it I would say that I share probably 10% of the things that I do, to be honest, maybe 20%. Um, but a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it, I, there is a lot of stuff too, like the guiding stuff and other things. Like I film a lot of that just because I enjoy it and I like to share it with the, the people who are in it. Um, but I don't like share those things or whatever. And if I'm hunting myself, there are, there are definitely hunts that I do that I don't film, but sometimes I do that and I, I'm like, Oh, it's almost too easy. So I, I, in a weird way, like the challenge of like, I might just go out and try to self film it myself and Hey, cool. And I don't share it. I just do it because I like to do it and I'll send the video to my friends or my family or whatever. And then I just pick the ones that some of the stuff that I like and some stuff doesn't even have like a complete story. So I try to be intentional about the things that I like film, you know, but you never know. Like I filmed my wife's antelope 
hunt. And that was not, I wasn't going to do anything with it, but I, we ended up just like, Oh, we got a little bit of time and cut it together and like showed it to her. And she's like, Oh, that's cool. She's like, you can share it if you want. I was like, Oh, cool. All right. So we did. And, and I think it's kind of fun too, because it maybe encourages other women to get out and, and hunt or, you know, maybe somebody that's like got a daughter and doesn't think about taking them hunting. And it's like, okay, it can be encouraging in a lot of ways to, to a lot of people. So I think it's fun to be able to share stuff, whether it was intended for that or not. Very cool. Um, so when you're looking to the future now, you're kind of looking 10 years down the road and your kids are maturing, they're getting in their teens and stuff like that. Uh, do you see a change in what you're doing? Do you see, you know, guiding has been a part of your life. Obviously, you know, the outdoor space and hunting is probably not, you know, that's here to stay, but do you see any evolution coming forward or, or are you kind of just taking as it comes? Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think I'm going to try to cut the guiding back. Like I'll still, I'm probably one of the few outfitters that also guides every week. I don't think that that's normal. Um, and there's probably, there's a good reason because when you're out guiding, like it's all encompassing, you're doing nothing else. You're up before, well before daylight and you're the last one to bed and there's no communication, whatever. So I have like some really big chunks of time where I'm completely unaccessible. And that's kind of, I think that that's hard on the families. Like if I go on a hunt, um, it might be a week or two weeks, but it's not it's 10 weeks. Right. So that part um i'm trying to cut back a little bit of the guiding and it helps me like run it a little bit better too where i i've got and also i have really good guides built up now where everything used to be on me but i think that i've got good guys now that um, can kind of carry that torch i trust and like have good success and they know what they're doing and and i really trust them and would you know put anyone with them so that's helped a lot too. So I can kind of step back and like, if I want to jump in for a couple of days, I can, and then, but I'm not a hundred percent tied to it for every day of the year or every day of the season. Yeah. Right on. Uh, okay. So a couple of fun ones for you. What, uh, what's your absolute most important piece of gear? What, what are you never going to leave your house with? Um, and, and it's brand specific. So it, maybe it's your, whatever your stone glacier pack, maybe it, whatever, it doesn't matter. So like, absolutely. I, I take this thing no matter what you could get rid of any piece of gear, but you're taking this thing. So I, uh, I would probably never go out without binoculars. Um, and probably I've got like the, uh, vortex, UHDs. I, right now I've got like the 10 by fifties, but I, I think like, as long as I have some kind of optics, I'll be successful. Like, well, I, I was like, I probably would take optics over a bow. Cause I was like, I could probably kill it with something else if I had to, but it's very <laughs> hard. Like if you can't find stuff, you can't kill it. Um, so that would be, I mean, but outside of like whatever you're shooting, I don't care what I'm shooting. Like I'll shoot a recurve, a traditional bow, a compound bow, a muzzleloader, a rifle, I just love hunting, but probably most important piece of gear would be good optics. Yeah, right on. Uh, is there any new gear that you have this year that you're kind of keeping an eye on, you're keen to try out this year, or anything that stands out that's fairly new in your kit? Um, I got. A, I just actually got a new pair of boots today, a uh, new pair of Schnee's boots. It's like they're a low top, but more, a little bit more. So it's like a lighter boot, but a little bit more aggressive as well. So I'm going to run those on my sheep hunt and I'll probably run those on a, a few other hunts um, that I'm pretty excited about. Like, I don't know. I always like to try new stuff. And then I'm, I'm bringing back something that I used to use probably 15 years ago and haven't used for a very long time. I just ordered a couple platypus bottles, you know, the like collapsible plastic bottles. 
I got away from them because they almost killed me <laughs> because like I was in a, it was like a late season hunt and they just, it just like ripped in my bag and it got super cold. Everything in my bag was soaked. I had two liters of water just dumped uh-huh. out inside my bag. So I don't, I still don't think I would trust it for a late season hunt or it's like fine for, you know, I'll, I'll use, I started using the MSR dromedaries instead, but I don't know. I, I was scrolling through Amazon thinking I was like, okay, for the sheep hunt, it's hot. So if my stuff got wet, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But um, I was like, it's hot. I'm going to need a lot of water. These are super light, easy to fill. I haven't used them for 15 years because I was so angry at them. But I'm like, ah, maybe I'll maybe I'll enjoy using them again. I don't know. We'll see. So that's something I'm just bringing back old school. <laughs> that's a good point, actually, because I run platypus too, and I love them. But mine get old. like they get, And they probably are getting fatigued. I've never had one fail like that. But now that you say that, I probably should pick up some new ones because if yeah that's not good if they fail in your bag right yeah and i mean like i'm i've been so against like those kind of uh water i like just a bottle because i know that's like sealed and it's not going to leak and whatever and then my dad he loves the i think he had a camel back and i'm like dude dad don't take these on these hunts he's like no i've never had a problem with it and we're on a caribou hunt i'm literally saying this i was like why'd you bring this and he's like no i've never had a problem with it i was like okay i was whatever and his the hose detached from the the uh, camelback and it leaked all over his bag on a caribou hunt and like got his uh luckily his sleeping bag wasn't in there but got his like insulation layer wet everything was soaked and it was so wet already he was not happy camper (laughs) (laughs) awesome so when you need to pack water you were using a dromedary from msr is that what you're running instead yeah, just for like camp water. Yeah. And then just yeah. okay. two big water, like two liter and a half water bottles. Yeah. Cause the type we usually do, it's always, water's always an issue, especially if you're up top, right? And it's just, yeah. So those platypus are so nice because they're like 0.1 ounce and they carry two liters of water. It's amazing, right? But yeah. Yeah. And that's like, not I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The dromedaries seem like a little, it's like the, the way that mine fe- failed was I had a, um, well, I was like a, I think it was like a Kelty freighter pack, you know, it was like the pack frame. I remember the pins and you'd have the pins pushed through. Mm-hmm. Well, when I shoved the, uh, thing into the pack, it must've like a pin had punctured it somehow. Um, so it was like up against something in the back of the pack and the pin poked through and, and punctured it. So I at least feel like the dromedaries are, and I don't, I don't run packs with pins anymore, so I should be fine. But I don't know, just had some bad experiences. And then I've had the same thing where the hose is connected, that kind of thing. And the hose comes loose and the thing drains or whatever. So I don't know. But yeah, going back to the platypus model, we'll see. Right on. Old school. Are you yeah. going to run your platyp- uh, your, sorry, your stone glacier for the for the hunt in Alaska? Yep. Yeah. Do you, have you tried the 8700, the Terminus, or do you just, you, you run the, like this, the Skyline or what do you, or the, yeah, I've got like the Talus. Sky Talus. Yeah. Sky Talus. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. One last question for you about boots. So you're running, what, what are the new schnees? I just picked up a pair of Timberlines. I talked to Mike over there and he's like, grab the Timberlines, but, uh, I wanted something lightweight and I was going to go with like a lower cut. But I was just worried about ankle support. He, he ended up saying, "We'll grab, try the Timberlines, but they're a little bit heavier too, right?" Yeah. Um, the I I honestly don't know the name of the new ones. Um, I said them. They're I can't. brand new to the brand. 
Yeah, like uh, no, I think it's a, a it's a new version, but they they had it like years ago, and I think they they've spent a lot of time redoing it um, because I think they had like the kestrels, but it's a little bit. It's like I would say it's more aggressive than the kestrel, but um, lower than the you know like not as high as the timberlines as far as like right. the the height of the boot, um, more low profile. I oh, mean, I, I wish I could remember the name of it. I'd have to look it up. This is like oh, no, it's all cool. I'll, I'll, or something like that. Yeah. They, uh, they literally just came out with them uh, this week, two days ago, yesterday. Okay. They just came out with it yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. All right. uh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll look and see. Um, all right. So I know you got to get going here. You got a busy afternoon. But before we let you go, uh, scariest time on the mountain. What is it? What, uh, what scared the heck out of you? Mm-hmm. And never ever doing it again. Oh, I I was uh, re- retrieving a chamois for a client that I was guiding in New Zealand, and she it, like it was one of those where I told her to shoot because I thought it would fall to the bottom, and I didn't realize that the rock that I was seeing. I, sometimes you, the scale of things changes when you go to it, right? And the rock that I that it, it like fell and then it got stuck. Well, the rock had, was a like can pulled away from the mountain and there was a gap that it fell into. So it like fell into this little crevasse of this big rock that was pulled off the mountain. And so I climbed up to get it and it was really cold and wet. And I was like pretty cold. My hands are cold. It was pretty hard to get to it. And then I had to jump onto that rock that was pulled away to get the chamois. So I like jumped down onto that and it was stupid. Like if I would have slipped, I would have been hundred percent dead. And then I threw the chamois off the cliff and uh it fell forever like i didn't realize i mean i knew that it was high but it was just one of those when you see something falling and you're like okay it's gonna hit the bottom it's gonna hit and it's just like free falling forever and i i kind of lost it like i just my knees started to shake and that cold set in and i was like i was not sure that i'd be able to climb out of there because i knew that i couldn't down climb what i climbed up which was like i'm stupid anyways i should never have climbed up there I ended up climbing to the top of the mountain. I had to go a long ways to get to the top. So it was pretty dicey and then found a way, a route down from the top. So it worked out, but um, I, I risked a lot of things. There was like a lot of fog. So even worst case scenario, if I got stuck and didn't fall, I wouldn't have been able to like get a helicopter lift out of there for a week probably because it was just so socked in. Like we got out that day and it was just socked in for uh, at least a week after that it would have just been a really really bad i just put myself in a really bad situation and i've never done it again like it was kind of a eye-opener but i don't know when you're young and you're just like you don't even think about things and then you get older and you're like i will never i'm actually it like kind of gave me a weird fear of the mountain in some ways like that i didn't have before you come up to those spots where you're like oh if i slip once i'm dead and i just don't like putting myself in those situations anymore to be honest has it changed now that you're married and got kids and stuff like that? Are you thinking about people at home more so than you did when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Then I was like, I didn't, I didn't even care. I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll be out here, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I, I would go for, I would go like for a month and no one would know where I was, <laughs> you know, like just nobody would know where I was for a month. But like, yeah, I'll be back in four weeks. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and like whatever, no communication, no satellite stuff, nothing. And now I'm like, I, you know, I wouldn't put myself in those situations. Now I've got all the like in reach and all that stuff. And then also just like bad situations. I avoid them at all costs. Like I've, I've put in enough time to know what, 
like the potential dangers and I try to avoid those things. I've had a couple, I think three major self-arrests that if I didn't get stopped, I probably wouldn't be alive. And it just like, you know, it's not worth it. And I mean, you could, that can happen anywhere, really. You could be in a, like a completely safe and slip. Like sometimes the worst ones are on grass, to be honest, not ice or snow because then ice and snow, you're geared up, you're ready for it. Like you, it, but when you hit that wet grass on those certain slopes and just feet go out from under you and you're rocketing toward a cliff, it's not a fun experience. Um, but yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, great story. Okay. Uh, so anyone that wants to check out the platform, obviously we don't need to do much of an intro cause everyone knows who the hell you are, but, uh, obviously live wild podcast, um, YouTube channel where they need to go. Where's the best place to follow you? Yeah. Um, you can Instagram, any social media at Remy Warren. Doesn't matter. That's the same handle, Instagram, uh, YouTube, all the same. And then live wild. You can just search live wild podcast on pretty much any podcast platform, wherever you're available and you should be able to find it. Awesome. Well, Remy, can't thank you enough for all you do for hunting and the things that we all love and, uh, and always supporting the conservation organizations that we love too. And uh, really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Glad we made it. Uh, got finally got together and got to chat. So appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Good. I'd seen you down in Reno actually, but it's always like the entourage following you around. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to harass you too badly. So we'll look uh, for you yeah, this year. Good. I'm sure we'll, we'll see you out there. So. Perfect. Sounds good. See you there.